0: This podcast is brought to you by Cochlear Limited, the global leader in implantable hearing solutions. More people choose Cochlear than any other hearing implant company.
1: Good morning and welcome to this podcast in the ENT Expert Opinion Series. My name is Dr. Niall Jefferson and with me today is Dr. Philip Chang. Dr. Chang completed post-training fellowships with Hugo Fish in Zurich, an additional time with David Moffat in Cambridge, the House Ear Clinic in Los Angeles. Uh, He is a member of a number of professional societies and presents regularly nationally and internationally and runs regular teaching courses for international groups on implantable devices. He is a clinical director of the Shepherd Centre for Hearing Impaired Children in Sydney as well as Hearing Implants Australia and runs a busy paediatric and adult clinical practice with an emphasis on otology and neurotology. It's my pleasure to talk to you today. How are you, Phil? Good,
0: Niall. Thank you for inviting us to participate.
1: What we're going to be talking about today is the ever-changing world of cochlear implantation and expanding indications. Now, there is another podcast which is uh, looking at paediatric cochlear implantation, and there will be some overlap here today. Let's begin, though. We know that hearing loss is common in children. It's often picked up through uh, newborn hearing screening. How common is hearing loss, though, in adults?
0: In adults, Nile, it's more common than we perceive. That ten percent of adults overall have some degree of hearing loss that that potentially needs amplification, and fifty percent of patients over the age of seventy-five have a significant, moderate to severe hearing loss, usually in the high tones.
1: So, how then do those patients? generally present to you in your practice?
0: Patients in my adult practice present in one of two ways. Those that have a progressive insidious hearing loss go through a number of hearing aids and after a series of hearing aids, they or their audiologist finds that the hearing aid devices are not providing adequate clarity of speech and so they're referred to be considered for a hearing implant. But there are other patients now that present with sudden or a stepwise diminution of hearing, and that is by virtue of their hearing being destroyed by chronic ear disease, many ears disease, acoustic neuromas, or surgeries to rectify those conditions. And so they present earlier with hearing loss and often identified as implant candidates at that stage.
1: All right. So then overall in Australia, what are the current indications for cochlear implantation? In
0: children and adults, there is really no age limitation. That with universal neonatal screening, we're diagnosing patients with a severe to profound hearing loss early, and children are being considered for implants once such a hearing loss has been confirmed, as young as 6 to 12 months of age. But on the other end of the spectrum, adults that are otherwise fit and healthy, that are socially and physically active, where their hearing loss is their rate limiting step as far as quality of life, then with a thorough workup, these elderly patients are being considered for a cochlear implant and that's largely because the technology has changed as well that we as implant surgeons are blessed with a stable full of electrodes some of which are finer than ever and there's a move now to use these finer electrodes by gently entering the round window with zero inner-ear fluid loss, with a greater chance of preserving the inner-ear milieu, and this translates to the potential to preserve residual hearing, and equally important, not to disturb their balance.
1: What then do you want to know from their history when they present to you with hearing loss?
0: Well, probably the first thing we want to know is what is the cause of their hearing loss. In most cases, the cochlea has not been destroyed and nor has the auditory nerve. But there are certain situations where that is not the case, where the, the cochlea may be disrupted, may be subject to fibrosis or ossification in the post or post-traumatic setting, or that the auditory nerve has been subject To disruption because of an acoustic neuroma or surgery necessary to remove one and in these cases uh, where the integrity of the cochlea and the auditory nerve has not been preserved then it may be difficult to work up to to offer these patients a cochlear implant. We also want to ensure the longevity of the hearing loss. If we look at our adult patients the two greatest favorable prognostic factors are if the hearing loss is postlingual. In other words, they had developed language and speech even if it's only up to the age of five before losing their hearing, then we know these postlingual patients will do well. Equally, we know these patients will do well if there is minimal time between the time of hearing loss and the time of implantation. In other words, there hasn't been time for the higher, new, higher neural pathway to, to fatigue through lack of stimulation.
1: Moving then on to your physical examination, understandably, examining um, children comes with its own complexities, but in adults, there are similar complexities that need to be overcome. How do you, how do, you do this?
0: I must say, Niall, out of all the patients that I see, patients with a long-standing severe to profound hearing loss can be the most receptive. That when a hearing loss is of that level, our routine tuning fork tester through the Rene Weber test are unfruitful and unproductive. That often these patients have learned to lip read and dare I say it, they do more listening with their eyes than with their ears. You may be having a conversation throughout the whole consultation and not realise that their hearing loss is so severe. And it's only when you ask them to take their hearing aids out and you cover your mouth do you realise that they've been lip reading through the whole conversation. So the take-home message there is that We need to work with a good audiologist to confirm the impression of the severity of the hearing loss that is gauged by us uh, in the clinical setting.
1: You've already touched a little bit on this, but are there key elements uh, from the history, physical exam, or particularly psychosocial factors that will predict success uh, in the context of cochlear implantation?
0: Yes, there certainly are. Look, we want... on. In adult patients, adults that are well motivated, adults that are in an active social or employment setting, that have good family support and from a hearing point of view have had hearing and lost it in a post-lingual setting and that we've managed to minimize the time of implantation and hearing loss. We also want patients to have had continued hearing aid use through most of their adult life. And that all means that the auditory nerve and the higher pathways have been stimulated throughout.
1: We've talked in some detail about what currently would be indications for cochlear implantation. Are there contraindications to implantation?
0: From an anatomy point of view, if the cochlea has been uh, destroyed, disrupted or completely ossified, it does make implantation difficult. If there is no auditory nerve as a result of an acoustic neuroma or surgery to, to remove it, then naturally that makes a cochlear implant impossible. Quite often, Niles, however, a Cochlear implant represents the means of restoring hearing as a result of end-stage ear disease. So this means patients may have had a labyrinthectomy, may have had mastoid disease, may have had unsuccessful stapidectomies. And in this setting, these are not contraindications, either as two operations in series or more often now, As one operation, the underlying chronic ear disease needs to be sorted out and it is possible to insert a cochlear implant all at the same time.
1: We've talked a little bit about some of this again, but uh, investigations. What investigations are routine as part of your workup?
0: For all patients uh, who are considered for adult cochlear implantation, an MRI is mandatory. That Nile, the T2-weighted image, shows us that the cochlea is patent. It gives an indication whether there's unexpected malformations. It confirms that the auditory nerve is robust and healthy and that the higher senses of the brain are all fine. Quite often, patients lose their hearing in the context of mastoid disease, that they have had destructive or infective processes of the temporal bone or previous surgery, And in that setting, then a CT scan is useful to look at the local anatomy. And we want to be forewarned if there's exposed dura, if the facial nerve has been exposed, or whether there's any unexpected calcification around the window or beyond it within the inner ear.
1: Are there any other elements to your preoperative workup, um, including uh, audiometry is a, a given, given that they're at the point now the most important preoperative workup
0: is the audiological workup that we want to be sure that these patients cannot have their hearing amplified through a conventional hearing aid or any other sort of listening devices we want to make sure that an implant is what's appropriate for them that they're not appropriate for a bone conducting device and finally we want to make sure that their expectation is as it should be that a patient who has that is post-lingual and has suddenly lost his hearing in one or both ears and received a cochlear implant would do much better than a patient who is a pre and has never used a uh, hearing aids so The art of the audiologist, as well as the surgeon, is to be able to predict how well these patients will do and to ensure that they are armed with that expectation prior to their surgery.
1: Taking that a step further, how do you counsel them the risks related to surgery and what their post-operative course will involve?
0: The surgery itself... I tell patients, it is major ear surgery, but one of the safest operations we do. That in most situations we are operating in a healthy ear. We need to tell patients that we're operating close to the dura, close to the facial nerve, and we are entering the inner ear. And all those things have an innate risk. By entering the inner ear, even with the finer electrodes that are now available to us and with a traumatic entry into the round window, that a degree of imbalance may be on the cards. And if it is, often it's only for a couple of days. In an elderly patient, this may be longer and there's a chance that they may need some balanced physiotherapy in the post-operative setting in the weeks to come. We are at times called to uh, skirt close to the quarter we create through the mastoid a letterbox opening through the chordofacial facial recess opening. More and more we need to see the round window in its full state and so it does call for us to dissect closer to the quarter and from where it takes off from the facial nerve. So there we need to warn patients that there may be a disturbance of taste and that this may last for weeks or months but generally rectifies itself with the fullness of time.
1: On the day of surgery then are there specific pre or intra operative considerations that you have?
0: In pediatric and adult patients particularly in the context of a ear that has had previous surgery the facial nerve, for me, is a mandatory device. The patient is given intravenous antibiotics before, during, and after uh, the procedure. I also give 8 milligrams of dexamethasone, BD or TDS, to help settle the inner ear
1: before we
0: disturb it by entering an electrode into it.
1: Having performed the surgery, are there any specific post-op instructions that you give the patients in regards to post-op care?
0: Patients are able to go home the same day or the day after. That The wound, is once it's closed, is uh, sprayed with a silicon spray to make it waterproof from day one. Patients, even before they're off the operating table, whilst they're still under general anaesthetic, can have the implants programmed through interoperative remote assistance. Neural response telemetry allows us to set certain thresholds that can help guide the audiologist to the most accurate program once the patient is switched on. The next day after surgery, Patients can potentially be switched on. The speech processor sits behind the ear. The magnet itself sits above and behind the ear, well and truly remote from the cut behind the ear, and so it doesn't cause discomfort.
1: So once the implant is in, uh, you've mentioned switch-on will occur. What then is involved in the rehab, and and how, how does that take place?
0: Rehabilitation in adults is as important in children. It may not occur in such a regimented, rigid fashion, but it is essential. That initially, any adult who has an implant will find the quality of sound strange and at times confronting. It will sound rather electronic and robotic, and this may be weeks and potentially four months. Rehabilitation ensures that this time is minimised and that we gain the most for the patient from the point of view of hearing. So that implanted ear needs to be introduced initially to sounds, vowels, words, sentences and music and with the implants now being wirelessly connected to technology such as iPads or iPods, we can now stream sound directly to an implant. And so that particular implanted ear can undergo rehabilitation without the dominant ear, potentially the contralateral ear, um, taking over. And we are able to record the voices of uh, significant others and stream it to that particular ear. So that is a major advance when it comes to rehabilitation.
1: How robust are cochlear implants and uh, how long do you typically expect them to last?
0: Niall, the devices themselves, particularly the implant, is, is extremely robust. But we know that for the children that we've implanted that it can last for 50-plus years. In the advent that an implant is traumatised, it can be easily replaced but essentially for the majority of children and adults the implant itself is there for life. The speech processor on the external side does change that it's becoming smaller, more sophisticated, longer battery life, greater connectivity and should that change every four to five years it's always compatible with with what has been implanted underneath the skin.
1: Are there any particular medical contraindications or concerns in relation to having a cochlear implant?
0: A cochlear implant is compatible with most medical procedures but a patient's doctor should know that they have an implant prior to any procedure. A patient with an cochlear implant can have an MRI, it should be a 1.5, te- 1.5 tesla MRI, and the uh, head needs to be wrapped, particularly over the implant, prior to the procedure, otherwise uncomfortable for the patient. If an MRI greater than 1.5 tesla is required, with a day-only procedure, even under local anaesthetic, the magnet can be removed. And we may do that because we need uh, a stronger MRI or because the magnet itself is is causing an artefact over the area we wish to be imaged. With a cochlear implant, there is no greater risk of ear infections or meningitis. The device itself is strong and robust when it comes to sporting activities and that implant patients can play rugby, boxing, or contact sports. They may use a soft headband, but uh, an implant is compatible with a normal sporting lifestyle.
1: Any problems with diathermy?
0: Yes, that uh, in the head and neck region, above the clavicles, unipolar diathermy is contraindicated, but bipolar diathermy is is acceptable.
1: As far as what is new in cochlear implantation, where are we currently and where are we headed?
0: There are a number of frontiers when it comes to candidacy, Nile, We touched on how children potentially can be implanted as young as 6 to 12 months of age, provided that they are convincingly diagnosed and comprehensively worked up. That in children and adults alike, we are considering bilateral cochlear implants. And that model has the advantage of children and adults hearing better in background noise, localising sound, being able to hear when sound is directed to a particular ear. In children, it also guarantees that we have a cochlear and an auditory pathway that is optimally working should something happen to the contralateral ear. Look, another uh, new frontier when it comes to cochlear implant candidacy is single-sided hearing loss. And this to date has been rather controversial, rather discretionary. But adult patients who have had a, a sudden hearing loss, who understand the risks and complications who have trialled all other devices including a cross aid or a bone anchored hearing aid and have lived with their hearing loss for a number of years can potentially be considered in a selective way for a cochlear implant for single-sided hearing loss. The final frontier nile, though is integrating a cochlear implant to the everyday ear surgery we do. So, there are patients that have chronic ear disease that needs to be sorted. That patient may have a dead ear on that side and an implant can be inserted at the same time. But all the stapes we do, stapidectomies we do, are successful. And in the, in the if we inherit someone who's had a series of stapidectomy procedures that have resulted in a dead ear, then the piston can potentially be removed and an implant may be an option for them. And again, that can be done as one procedure. So hearing implants, as far as I'm concerned, is no longer a procedure done in isolation, but is something that can be done concurrently as we address the underlying ear disease that has robbed our patients of their hearing.
1: Is there... uh hope in the future for a totally implantable device?
0: There is. And probably the greatest challenge there, Niall, is having a battery that can last 30 or 40 years and be able to be recharged. That is not the size of a phone book. Alright? And so, with with time, I'm sure it will be totally implantable. But I would imagine that's about 15 years away. Still... There is so much great technology around implants that we would love it to be totally implantable, but we've got everything we have and need today.
1: Well, thank you very much. It's been an enjoyable discussion on what is a constantly evolving topic. Yeah. Um, I like to finish with the final word. Um, the final word is an opportunity for you to discuss something that we maybe haven't covered during the point of the, during the course of the interview that you think is important or to highlight something that we have discussed that you think is critical to any discussion on cochlear implantations and particularly their expanding indications. So I'll hand it over to you for the final word.
0: Look, Niall, in every country we face reimbursement issues when it comes to cochlear implants for our patients. And that differs from country to country, but what doesn't differ is what is the potential for our patients to achieve with us with cochlear implantation. The surgery is now as reliable and repeatable as ever before. The implant is strong and robust and delivers the sound that we need for our patients. What is constantly changing, however, is the criteria. And it behoves us all to keep abreast of those criteria so we can see what we can offer our patients. And Noel, if you will have me back in three years' time, I'd love to update you about the ever-expanding criteria in this ever-changing world.
1: Thanks very much, Phil.
0: This podcast was brought to you by Cochlear Limited. Cochlear is dedicated to giving recipients the best lifelong hearing experience and access to innovative future technology. As the global expert in implantable hearing solutions, Cochlear has helped over 350,000 people of all ages around the world live an active life by reconnecting them with their family, friends and community.